Marcel Louis-Jacques, our Miami Dolphins beat writer. For a couple months now, you've had a front row seat for the debut of a new personality that I find as fascinating straight up as any other in the NFL at this point. And so this week, ahead of game one of Mike McDaniel's head coaching career, what did you want to ask him about? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the question that I sat up all night thinking about, heart pounding. You know, like a lot of players say that they're nervous before a game, right? And it takes that first hit, you know, whether it's on kickoff or first time they touch the ball or first snap, they need to be hit in order to really feel comfortable. So mm. I brought that up to Mike. Some players say that like they need to be hit before they really feel comfortable in a game. Is facing Bill Belichick in your first regular season NFL game like the coaching equivalent of that? And in just his like typical deadpan manners, like... Yeah, I mean, can there be a, a larger disparity in career win-loss total? Yeah, with 290 wins for Bill Belichick, the greatest of all time, to zero. A hard zero. It's a goose egg. It would be a bigger deal, I think, if uh, Coach Belichick and I were on the field, uh, maybe doing like an Oklahoma drill. But I don't I don't foresee that happening. Uh, I don't think the fans would really pay for that. Yeah, I would absolutely want to go see that. I would absolutely pay for that if anybody's actually interested in setting that one up. My favorite response to that when I tweeted it out, somebody was like, Mike McDaniel has no idea the things that we'll pay for. <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing of the things that I'll spend money on. <laughs> But it does feel like McDaniel, I mean, already it was obvious that he is just, I mean, he's the opposite of Belichick in all sorts of ways. And the press conference feels like a clinic, the perfect showcase for just that amount of contrast. It is. And like, it's something every day. Well, what do we got? You got, has got anything going on? Just hanging out in an auditorium? It just comes like so off the cuff. Just going to drag it out of me, huh? God. Make me do all the work. What do you guys got for me? It's unlike any other kind of press conference that I've been to because right. obviously you see like the viral parts, you see the jokes, you see the funny moments. I'm sure there's a lot of Patriots that'll be excited to bronze up a little bit, you know, before the TV regular season starts. So if you don't put sunscreen on, you will get bronzed. Belichick famously, infamously, really, he is perpetually onto Cincinnati. Marcel, he is always like saying no. He's always trying to cut questions and answers short. And Mike McDaniel, as you just alluded to, he's perpetually saying yes and, right? He's just like improving riffs, basically. Yeah, it's like somebody was asking, a reporter asked a couple of weeks ago, you know, if he had any announcements to make. No announcements. Hmm. Are you sending me, should I have an announcement? Oh, oh, um, I think tomorrow there's a player's birthday. Um, I should announce that. Um, I should announce that my wife went to the grocery store, which is exciting because I'm a big snack time guy. <laughs> it um, kept going, yes. Oh, I would like to announce that I'm very excited for practice, as you guys should be, because it's an opportunity for both sides of the ball to respond to things that they weren't happy with the previous day. Marcel, he is giving us content. Yeah, and I, I, some by the grace of God and Mickey Mouse, I get paid to listen to this man speak. <laughs> we hear all of these things about Mike, right? He's, he's a super genius. Yes. An offensive mastermind, a guru, but now the games matter, and it's time to find out, does the substance match the style now that he is the man in charge? It's game one 
and then one of two things happen. We're either crowned or we suck. Becoming an NFL head coach is kind of like taking political office. You got to stand behind a podium. You got to play to your base. You got to stand and project a very physical authority. Like football is allegedly war, or at the very least, the theater of war. And so football keeps on casting the gruff wartime presidents. And they are expected to look and sound the part. So today, we introduce you to Mike McDaniel, a young and unconventional, and until very recently, anonymous rookie coach who looks and sounds so little like the coaches we've been used to. And we examine whether his Dolphins can go from winning press conferences to winning games. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Friday, September 9th. This is ESPN Daily. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, Marcel, I realize that there are many people out there who maybe haven't grinded Mike McDaniel press conference film yet. So how would you explain just visually here at the very top what Mike McDaniel actually looks like? So, um, I mean, he's probably, and man, if he, if he listens to this and I get this wrong, my bad, man, he's probably five, eight, five, nine, mm-hmm. give or take hair kind of slicked to the side or back, uh, always with glasses on, always with a fat, watch on to he has not confirmed what kind of watch it is but in that presser where you asked him the belichick question he's wearing his own zip-up hoodie but then the big ass gold watch the black like dark rimmed glasses it's a it's he it feels like he's kind of like a guy as one of our producers put it who won a madden tournament and the prize was (laughs) coaching an nfl team wow that's (laughs) respectfully really funny but yeah, I love the, the mention of the tracksuit because the hoodie is always matching the pants and then there's always a pair of Yeezys on his feet. Yes. And it was like press conference number three and he was he wore Yeezys every time. I was like, hey, hey man, how's the, uh, what's that Yeezy collection looking like? And he stops before he gets to the door. He's like, strong. He's looking <laughs> strong. I got a mountain of him. Yeah, and Marcel, ever the investigative reporter, you asked him directly about this, about a Yeezy drop as... Yeah, he was walking into a presser. I did, man. Like, uh, I always like to, it's it's usually either on my way to the podium or on our way from the podium just to, like, break the ice or something, you know, like, hey, like, what is this? Did you see this? Are you doing that? And it was easy day. A holiday for hype beasts. And so, uh, you know, I asked him, hey, are you, uh, you got somebody in the back, you know, scrolling phones for you, making yes. sure you're up you on the You have a drops. bot army trying to get these <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Easy day today? You got somebody on that for you back there? What, easy? What? There's an easy day? Yeah, a lot of drops today. 
Man, training camp. <laughs> you lose sight of everything. Like national holidays such as that. I mean, look, he's 39 years old. He is this new face. And it does feel like he is unusually self-aware, right? Like his first presser, Marcel, that we ever saw him as was when he took over as the offensive coordinator of the 49ers. That's where he first built his reputation. And he very clearly acknowledged from the jump that he knows more or less exactly what we think he looks like. Excited to be here. Equally excited for you guys to truly take in how physically imposing I am. So, yeah, I mean, right, like, part of being smart is being self-aware. So he's, he knows he's not fooling anybody in, the, in, like, the size or physical intimidation department. And, like, that's why he's also not really a rah-rah kind of guy in, in the locker room either because who wants somebody, you know, running around the locker room screaming at him like that? But it, it, it feeds into what he tries to do with his, his players, which is build trust and the way he builds trust is explaining the why he's not going to just tell you what to do he's going to explain why you're doing it and you know like he does that a lot with us in the media room in the in the press conference but he mm. does it daily with the team this is why we're meeting on these days this is why we're not wearing pads today this is why our schedule is like this because he feels like if people understand the why they will more readily i i guess buy into the what so his leadership style sounds less parental, less because I said so, and more persuasive trying to convince players and also the press, it sounds like, to actually want to buy into his philosophies. But I'm curious, Marcel, where his own process began. Like, what made him want to get into coaching to begin with? Yeah, it actually begins in Denver, Colorado, which is where Mike McDaniel grew up. He was frequently at Broncos training camp practices as a super fan from a young age. Uh, and one day, as reported by Nine News in, in Denver, one day his hat, a Charlotte Hornets ball cap, was knocked off while he was autograph hunting. Once upon a time, there was a nine-year-old boy named Michael from Greeley who, like thousands of young Bronco fans, spent countless hours at training camp outside the lines hoping for an autograph. One day, Michael lost his hat on the UNC campus. That night, he ran into Broncos assistant video director, Gary McCune. Looked like he had been crying. Broncos video coordinator, Gary McCune, bought a new hat for him at, at the mall and gifted it to Mike the next day and invited Mike's family to come to practice from like inside the ropes, you know, the VIP treatment. Mm. And that's when Gary and Mike's mother met and, you know, fell in love, started dating. Yeah, she wasn't very friendly to me initially. She was kind of, she was still kind of skeptical of me. I'm not even sure if my, uh, my mom really liked him. He just liked the, she just liked the way he acted with me. You know, we were, we hit it off right from the start. McCune and Donna married three years later. A new family was formed. Yeah, he sort of starts off as this local news feel-good story. Like, local kid made good. And he is interviewed in this piece, and it's remarkable that he is, like, uh, he's wearing two kind of, like, hoop earrings. He has the, like, gelled kind of, like, buzz cut. He, he looks um, remarkably different from the kind of nerdish character that we now see. I'll give him this, man. Whatever, it seems like whatever fashion 
choice he picks at the time, he really goes all in on it. <laughs> like he he rocks it somehow. Yes, young Mike McDaniel has a very MTV Total Request Live kind of aesthetic, which is a reference that you may only vaguely appreciate, I realize. But how does this adorable made-for-TV movie kind of life lead to an actual future in football? So he's got this intimate relationship with the Broncos from there. Yeah. Ends up being a ball boy, uh, ultimately a coaching intern after he graduated from Yale, where he also played football. In 2005, he gets a coaching internship with the, with the Broncos, spends a season there. Then he goes over to the Texans as an offensive assistant from 06 to 08. And then this is where things get a little, a little funky because he leaves the NFL and joins the California Redwoods and Sacramento Mountain Lions. I think there's a rebranding somewhere in there of the UFL now defunct UFL, which shout out to the Mountain Lions, man. I remember that team very well as a uh, Sacramento native. Yeah, I do not remember them at all, Marcel. I remember nothing <laughs> about the Sacramento Mountain Lions, but I do know that things had not worked out great with the Texans. But why is Mike McDaniel with the Sacramento Mountain Lions? It was just the next opportunity. I asked him, you know, what was his biggest takeaway from that experience? He actually didn't even mention football. He said that's where he met his wife, the ultimate lesson behind that was that everything happens for a reason. So how does Mike McDaniel go from the UFL back to the NFL? He ends up with his old buddy, Kyle Shanahan, who he worked with in Houston. Mm. He ends up in Washington with this <laughs> treasure chest, this Avengers list of future NFL head coaches, all on the same staff, you know, between Kyle Shanahan, himself, Sean McVay and, and Matt LaFleur. Man. It's a miracle, or the opposite of a miracle, how Washington didn't win more games. Well, I think Dan Snyder is the answer as to how all of his brain power ends up looking so stupid. But the point being that all of this brain power, all of these young minds, all of these future star coaches were all in a room together trying to figure out how to do what, Marcel? They're trying to figure out how to innovate how to push the norm, how to push each other. Matter of fact, he tells a story about how the team drafted uh, Robert Griffin III and none of them had ever coached a read option offense before. Mm. But they said, look, this is the quarterback we have and that's what he's going to be most successful in. So let's figure this out. And over the course of the offseason, they do. And RG3 has this terrific rookie season with a, a group of guys who had never coached the player of, of his archetype before. I said there, Mike's got a bunch of roots and they officially begin in Denver, but I think his roots as a really innovator started in that building in Washington. But you mentioned the name Kyle Shanahan and that is still the name that everybody has to mention when they talk about Mike McDaniel. So how closely tied are those two men? Well, I mean, put it this way, everywhere Kyle Shanahan uh, has been as a coach with the exception of his first stop in Tampa Bay. Mike McDaniel has also been. They were together in Houston. They were together in Washington. They were together in Cleveland, in Atlanta, in San Francisco. And it's like the epitome of, uh, you know, look, man, when I, when I finally get that job, I, I'm, I want to take you with me everywhere I go. That's his guy. Yep. Man, Mike is his guy. And so when do you first begin to start hearing, Marcella, somebody who covers the league, like 
actual buzz about this guy who is largely to this point just lived in the shadows, right? Like he is he is this guy who was doing all of this work designing creative plays, but no one had ever really heard or seen him before in terms of the actual public. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like I was some oracle that has seen this coming for years. The first I had heard of Mike McDaniel was in the 2021 season. Same. A little of that was by design. Like, if you hadn't heard of Mike McDaniel, don't blame yourself because the 49ers actually made some sort of effort to keep him under wraps. Mm. He actually had accepted a job with the LA Chargers as a play-calling offensive coordinator before the Niners more or less blocked the move or promoted him to keep him in place. They kind of wanted to keep him a secret, if, if you will. The Dolphins were the only team to interview him in this cycle. But I, I don't think that speaks to Mike's readiness to be a head coach. I, I think it just speaks to the Stephen Rosses and Tom Garfinkels of the world in Miami who like to go outside the norm a bit. They wanted to find the next big thing. They wanted to be innovative in their process. And that's part of the reason why Mike was so drawn to the Miami job is he loved that outside the box, that innovative thinking. Yeah, the Dolphins wanted to hit a home run, it sounds like. And the whole story here, by the way, is more complicated than this. We've covered it on previous pods. We've covered wanting to make a run at Sean Payton, getting sued by Brian Flores, all of that. But in the end, yes, they wanted their own boy genius head coach. And Marcel, I want to go deeper into what justifies that specific reputation after the break. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So this notion that Mike McDaniel was the secret sauce that Kyle Shanahan kind of poured on everything, 
Marcel. Kyle Shanahan, by the way, the guy, the coach that we all sort of marvel at for his genius when it comes to the run game specifically. What you're suggesting is that actually when we praised Kyle Shanahan for all of that stuff on offense, we actually had unknowingly also been praising Mike McDaniel. Yeah, you know, Mike, every, every, you know, nice thing said about Kyle Shanahan, Mike's just in the back with like a silent fist pump. Like, yes, <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> no, yeah, he is the, uh, you know, you'll hear them talk a lot about like collaborative play calling process. Uh, it starts with Mike McDaniel, who's known as a genius level play designer. And that's where you saw a lot of the Debo Samuel usage last year as both the receiver and a running back. Uh, it comes from Mike McDaniel's innovation. Wilson in for Mitchell. Debo Samuel in the backfield. This is Samuel on first and 10 from the 20. He's inside the 10, the 5 still going to the end zone. Touchdown! His own running scheme. You know, emphasizes athleticism for offensive linemen. Sometimes that ends up going viral in and of itself. If you remember Trent Williams in motion. Uh, you see this, some of the creativity that we've seen from Kyle Shanahan. He just wipes everything out over there. A little friendly fire as well. Nine-time pro bowler, the all-pro left tackle, Trent Williams. No, Marcel, you'd watch the Niners play football and immediately you notice this football team seems to be doing different things from most other football teams. Exactly. I'm going to say the word, the buzzword again, innovation. That is probably written on the wall, taped on the wall, like Ted Lasso's believe <laughs> in their office. Like that is, that's something that they really pride themselves on. It, it, it's a scheme again that, that emphasizes players who can create after the catch. So, you know, kind of shooting forward to the Dolphins when you see guys like Jalen Waddell and, and Tyreek Hill, uh, yeah. it, it's, there's really not a limit for what speedy, you know, yak guys like that can do. Right, yards after the uh, catch. In a scheme yes. like this. Yards after the catch, yes. And, and so the Dolphins end of things here, right? Like they bring this guy in, they bring in Mike McDaniel, the guy who can open up the field for you by having all of these players, their blockers included, moving in tandem. And it's no secret, Marcel, you are our Tua non-correspondent, obviously, <laughs> that we are now in year three of the Tua Tungavailoa era, where it is, as Tyreek Hill himself put on his own podcast, it is time to basically put up or shut up, right, for a franchise quarterback in year three. And so what is the rapport between McDaniel and Tua like as you've witnessed it? I mean, let's go back to April. Tua has luau for his foundation. And Mike McDaniel shows up. And he's not just there to, you know, shake a couple hands and sit in the background. There's there's video, viral video of him on stage, you know, learning how to play these traditional drums. Okay. Coach, tonight you become a warrior. And, you know, it, it, like I said, it goes viral and people laugh, but the impact of that is it told Tua that this is a guy he can count on. This is a guy who cares about the things he cares about. This is a guy who is going to support him. And that's where the trust between them really started to build to the point where, you know, Tua's in a press conference saying that uh, 
you know, like he'll go into his office and, and Mike will be disappointed when, you know, two and other players are hanging out and Mike wasn't invited. And somebody says, like, you can't invite a head coach to hang out. Tua says, you can. This one, you can. Well, Marcel, I mean, this seems to be, again, we talked about Belichick being different from McDaniel. This seems so wildly different from the previous head coach, a disciple of Bill Belichick, of course, in Brian Flores. Yes, the uh, the Shanahan McDaniel tree and the, the Belichick Flores side uh, could not be more polar opposite. Very different trees, uh, yes. Yeah, Tua has been very careful not to say anything disparaging about Brian Flores, not to feed into the rumors or narrative or reports. And ongoing litigation also. And ongoing litigation, but mostly that, you know, they had an icy relationship. But for the first time in his career, Tua is showing up five hours pregame on the field by himself, you know, running through scenarios of play sheet in hand. Like he's putting in an extra, kind of the extra mile because work is fun for him again. And he knows he's got people that trust and support him again. And that's a lot of that has to do with his relationship with Mike McDaniel and the effort McDaniel has gone toward building that trust and relationship. And where does McDaniel say Tua is right now as his progress as a signal caller is concerned? I think he said... He throws the the most catchable ball he's ever seen, most accurate ball he's ever seen uh, on Lambert's podcast. I mean, it, it's almost like a, what's that Shakespeare line? Me think you doth protest too much. <laughs> uh, me think you doth compliment too much. But it, it doesn't change the fact that he, he does think that Tua is accurate. Um, he does believe that he can win games with Tua. He does think that Tua is progressing. Uh, you know, Tua is a guy who he doesn't have the livest arm in the NFL. I don't think that's insulting or a secret, but in this scheme where all you need to do is put the ball in a spot and let your playmakers do the rest from there, there's a high probability of success. And I think that, that Mike's confidence in Tua also stems from Mike's confidence in himself to put him in the position to succeed. And what do you think it's going to be like to be Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle? These hyper, hyper fast receivers who love having the ball and finding space. Like I said before, I think the sky is really the limit for these guys in the offense. If they both ended up with a thousand receiving yards at the end of the year, I'm not going to bat an eye or be surprised. The Tua critics, Tua's most ardent critics say, you know, he doesn't throw the deep ball and now you have two vertical threats. I, I almost think that's kind of an insult to Tyreek and Jalen Waddle to just call them vertical threats. Uh, you know, yeah. I think both of them, particularly Tyreek Hill, they run the route tree one through nine, man. No, they he, run that thing very, very well. He's a Tyreke horizontal Hill will threat. Route you up. He's a diagonal <laughs> threat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I, I, I saw Stephon Diggs play for a couple years in Buffalo, and Stephon Diggs might be the best route runner I, I personally covered, but Tyreek Hill is right there, and the routes are absolutely faster. And the acceleration, the stop and start, the change of direction, it's unlike anything I, I have borne witness to in my NFL coverage career. As I'm sure the Bills know, as many teams around the league know, Tyree can get the ball three yards from the line of scrimmage and take it 60. So they're not going to just send him deep. They're just going to put the ball in his hands. Right. I mean, this was McDaniel's specialty, designing ways to create space for incredibly fast human beings to just outrun defenses. That's how he won over these locker rooms, right? Like, there is a long list of former players who just rave about him. But the Dolphins, Marcel, as we stand here now, they're 
opening the season at home on Sunday. And so what is the job looking like for McDaniel right now? Now he has to coach football games. Now he has to go in, in his first four. He's got to coach against the Patriots, the Ravens, at the Ravens. He's got to host the Bills, who have been big brother and then some. Like, he's about to get introduced to the neighborhood bully in week three, and we'll see how they respond. And then it's a short week. They got to go to Cincinnati, play Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and the Bengals. It's not an easy first month of the season by any stretch. No, this is a rough forecast. I have gone on record saying I think that this works. Um, and by works, I'm not saying that Miami wins the Super Bowl this year. I don't, I'm not even saying that they win the AFC East this year. But uh, I've, got them at, I've got them at 10 and 7. But then there's a very, very winnable stretch from like week 5 to week 12 where they're playing the Lions, the Bears, the Texans, the Browns, the Jets. From what I've seen of this team, I'm pretty confident they're going to pull wins out there. But this might be... And Pablo, I want to hear your opinion on it too because I think it's the toughest <laughs> stretch of football that I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> their month of December... Check this out. Check this out, man. Sit down. Everybody sit down. They are at San Francisco. Yep. At LA Chargers. Mm. At Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Yeah. Green Bay Packers on Christmas. Man. That's their four games in December. That's uh Marcel. It gets real, real cold by the end there, man. <laughs> it just progressively colder. Imagine spending two weeks in California. It's like, all right, was that fun? Awesome. Go to Buffalo. But in terms of things getting colder, getting harder, I do have to wonder here, Marcel, in all seriousness, how the personality of a very conspicuously jovial coach is going to hold up as we get deeper and deeper into an NFL season. The intriguing unknown about this coming season is it's really easy to be jovial when you're practicing against each other when there's not really anything at stake. I know that off-season practices and spring practices, training camp, I know it's important, but there's no win-loss record in the off-season. I'm curious, does he stay the same? Like, do we still get these moments when, or if, let's say, they start out 1-3? and three, Yep, yep. Or 0-4, or, or they lose to the Jets in, in, in Week 5. Like, it, when, when there's real adversity, you have to wonder... You know, what happens when the people that you, you, you joke around with are also your harshest critics? Yeah, I don't, I don't, nothing that I've, I've experienced from him suggests that he's going to change his personality because, like, it's just kind of who he is. And from what we know about him and what he, he talks to us about, what he talks to his players about, he craves the adversity. Like, he, he loves those situations. Uh, I, I asked, you know, a couple of Dolphins players about it. Uh, in, in the past few weeks. And they said that's one of his core principles is embracing adversity and, uh, you know, letting it really define your character and refine your character is how you respond to adverse situations. So I wouldn't expect to see a different Mike McDaniel, even if the team struggles. You know, at the end here, Marcel, it does occur to me, right? Like the NFL is our most serious sport, both in terms of the physical brutality on the field, but also the way that the sport likes to portray itself, right? I think of NFL films, I think of classical music, John Facenda being rolled over footage. And I just can't imagine those same classical themes, those traditional themes 
applying to Mike McDaniel. Like, this is a guy who is, for better and for worse, it seems, occasionally very happily unserious about the theater of performing the role of head coach. Yeah, this was a league where, I mean, the two maybe most popular programs around it are hard knocks, all or nothing. Like, in, it, like you said, like, I think Mike is happily unserious at, at times. And I, I do want to stress that, you know, he is as serious about his job and his craft and his team and his players as anybody in the NFL. It's not like he's just like walking through the halls. He's a goofball at practice. Like yes. he will lay into his players. I've, I've heard it from the stands before. <laughs> like it, it's not just this happy go lucky, you know, uh, jester bouncing through the halls in Miami gardens, but he, he knows how to turn it off and on. And so as you go wandering the halls of Miami gardens yourself, Marcel, covering this team, asking questions of people who will deserve tougher and tougher questions if things go, as we've discussed. What do you find yourself rooting for personally as a person who does have to sit in all of these press conferences? I don't really care who wins, who loses. I kind of just root for a good story. Like, I don't need to be entertained. You don't need to crack jokes every time we go there. But like, I would like to come out of that room smarter than when I went into it. And I just want it to be interesting. You know what I mean? And interesting could mean you teach us something new. Interesting could mean, you know, I'm very, I'm so grateful for this job, even when it, you know, has objectively not been interesting <laughs> or when things have happened that aren't interesting. But uh, it, it definitely helps having somebody who is. And, uh, you know, at his core, if nothing else, he might be a super genius. He's an NFL, he's this and that. But Mike McDaniel is inherently interesting. Marcel Louis-Jacques, thank you as always for making things interesting on ESPN Daily. Great call back, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Andre Soto, Josh Varensky, Russell Danalo, and Jackson Agelo. I'll talk to you Monday. <laughs>